Welcome to Rocketman Explores, where we voyage forth and delve into the world of sci-fi. But wait a minute! Ever wondered when the internet is going to get tired of us and just come and kill us all? Well, so have I. But then again, maybe it'll just be happy and send us cats for the rest of our lives. Tune in as we figure out AI. Friend, foe, or disinterested god. Much like cats. Hello again, ladies, gentlemen, and everything in between, and welcome to another episode of Rocketman Explores. Uh, I hope you guys are all enjoying uh, Season 2, and I hope you guys enjoyed the lovely drink that Chris and I had last week and uh, made it for yourself. So, today I've got a particularly special guest with me. He's the director of the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, Miles Baker. Uh, Miles, how you doing? Very well, how you doing? You know, very well, thank you. So, the acronym, TCAF, because we're not saying yeah. Toronto, Toronto Comic Arts Festival every time. Yeah, uh, yeah, we uh, we, go, we call it TCAF, usually, um, TCAF, but people also call it TCAF. No, TCAF is um, better. But yeah, TCAF, yeah, TCAF is way easier to say, um, and uh, there are other many other CAVs now uh, across uh, Canada and the United States, so that's great to see. Um, and yeah, we're, we're a comic focused show, comic book focused show. I've also had that mistake where someone once showed up and was like, where are the comedians? <laughs> not the guy. To... Like, I've like, got a oh, five you... minute set. Like, is that what we're doing here? Is it ten yeah. minutes, five minutes? <laughs> uh, it's like, well, they're all at the uh, library, uh, which is where we've hosted the show the most, but this mm-hmm. year, uh, it's all hosted online. So, um, Toronto's in major lockdown at the moment, right? So I'm assuming yeah, yeah super lockdown. Online. Yeah, yeah. So last year's show, um, you know, our show is Mother's Day weekend, and last year we canceled with about six weeks' notice, and we did some programming. We we uh, hooked up Cecil for uh, last year's for season one's uh, episode about um, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and um, uh, and then and we did a little bit of other program, but mostly we just like trying to connect people to get some promotion out uh, in tricky times. But this year we had a lot more time to think about what we would do. Uh, it's, it's just over, but uh, all of the programming that we've done is still live. So if you go to torontocomics.com, you'll be able to uh, find the links for everything that we did, that we recorded some of it. We, 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 we are not going to be able to archive just because it's like with kids or is a like, in-depth workshop where like people are going back and forth, that kind of stuff we're not going to preserve, but uh, tons of panels um, that we are going to have on our YouTube up for another uh, few weeks. Uh, then they'll go into the archive and we'll bring them out slowly. And what I meant to mention before was like the focus of our show is really like uh creator owned comics. So, okay. uh, so it's like your, your art comics, your independent comics, but like also like, you know, all the biggest publishers are there because uh, everybody's in the comics game. Um, so we're a little bit less focused on the properties and more the creators yeah. of those properties. And uh, yeah, this year uh, we have a really cool show and we've been able to take advantage of some of the, the advantages of being online, like getting some creators together who we wouldn't have been able to get uh, had they were like, had they had to travel. Right. Um, the, the, that's, that's very the cool. Lack of- yeah, the the able to the ability to sort of like connect with everyone because no one's going anywhere and we're all online now. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and like um, we did an online exhibition. Hopefully, it goes well. We're recording this before it goes live. It, it looks like it's going to go well. 
it's the first time where like anyone all over the world will be able to buy CCAF debuts and have them shipped right to their door. So um, they have no one's gotten them yet, <laughs> even by now, because it's it's a whole logistics process and getting you know all the books from all those independent artists to a central location to then yeah, go and out. Um, logistics right now is still just like logistics is the oh, best yeah. thing. annoying, and logistics right now is just an absolute nightmare. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll get yeah there lots of challenges for sure. Yeah, it'll get there. So uh, hopefully, uh, right now I'm enjoying a few well-deserved beers and uh, uh, listening to this podcast in the future. Fantastic. What's uh, TCAF 2022 looking like? I'm hoping by then we'll be able to do something physical again. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed back in real life, but uh, we are expecting to do more of an online component going Just forward. Having, like, done that, having done it this way now and having it been sort of normalized, you think even like even when real life becomes real life again, you think you'll incorporate sort of more of the stuff that we were doing of necessity now as just yeah. like the, the future format? Yeah, like, 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 for example, like what I was just mentioning, where getting creators who you couldn't get to to travel, and, like, we've really, you know, focused on that so much throughout our history, but, you know, this year, there were a couple people who we were close to get who would be real dreams, um, and in some cases, like, they're, they're honestly just too famous to be at our show, like, you know, yeah. they would, yeah. our, our show is completely free, it's always free, um, and, you know, you'd have a creator who would just, would just be too much of a, a line problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, plus, you know, maybe first class tickets, get COs, maybe they have an entourage. Maybe instead do a digital program with them, uh, pre-record it and then do a like screening of it. Maybe have a live Q&A if they're, you know, somewhere else on Zoom. Things like that, I think, uh, we'll definitely introduce more, um, doing a better job of archiving the things that we do live as well so that people can participate um, from home. And, you know, it helps improve access as well. And so that's great. And then like, if this exhibition goes well, I'm, I'm definitely going to consider running a parallel in person and digital marketplace, um, which is, I, 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 <laughs> I'm thinking it's, about it's, it too much and how I'd make it work. slightly daunting, but uh, yeah. Yeah, very daunting, today. yeah. Uh, but maybe, maybe we'll do that. We'll see. We'll see how ambitious we get. We always end up being a bit Exactly. More if last year has taught us anything, it's, you know, yeah, don't worry too much about the plans for the future. Because, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I, I definitely don't want to do this again. Uh, but if we had to, we've learned a lot this year. and We would do such a better job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Technical Tina informs me that you are, uh, you're also not a stranger to podcasts. You're a regular on a D&D podcast, Diecast? Yeah, it's called the, uh, the Diecast podcast. It's a live yeah. play fifth edition podcast. And we, uh, as this comes out, we're probably still airing our like interstitials between season six and seven. Okay. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to, uh, be in every season. There's a few different characters along the way. Um, and yeah, our, our, our game master, our DM, John is the podcast producer and it's really hats off to him because it's, it's, you know, there's a ton of work to DM a game. I've done that before. Oh my God. It's so much work, but very rewarding work. But then to also throw on podcast, uh, production and editing and, you know, those times where you lose an episode or lose parts of an episode, like, yeah. oh my God, all the blood, sweat and t- tears he's put into it. 
it's a lot, but I can totally see how that's a very like transferable set of skills between being like a good DM and then sort of managing that aspect of podcasting. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So it's a ton of fun. I get to do a lot of fun voices. That's the uh, that's the best part for me. What 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 character are you currently running? Uh, hopefully we're going to start up again with my character, Waywalket Sprocket, uh, who is a, um, a gnome rogue, um, uh, it's the arcane trickster subclass. So he, he has a yeah. little bit of magic, um, but not too much. Um, uh, and he's like a businessman. He's trying to start his own magic, uh, items business. Um, and, uh, they've definitely cause a lot of political intrigue uh, he and his group nice i it's 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 a, actually a bit of a good segue into the episode now so this particular week viewers we're talking about having talked about many mediums both over the first season of recommend explorers and our previous show boldly boinking and i have you probably well know i've repeatedly said one of my favorite just, you know, one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite movies. We're getting into my favorite science fiction show, because this week we're talking about The Expanse. And uh having listened to much media about The Expanse, The Expanse was originally an idea as a setting for a role-playing game. That's what its initial genesis was, was the author, yeah. Ty Frank, came up with it as... He thought this would be a great setting for, like, I'm not sure if, if you want to do five year or whatever, but it was a great set that he thought this would be a great setting for a role-playing game. And then when he discussed with the other author, Daniel Abrams, they, he, they'd end up coming up with such an extensive, like, backstory. And so she said, well, you know, you could write a book in this. And then eight, nine books later and five episodes of a television series, here we are. But that was the initial genesis of it was for role-playing. Yeah, I think they even ran it as like a text-based adventure, like in forums, so people would like type out their actions uh, back and forth, which is a, a neat way to do a role-playing game. Yeah, old school, almost like one yeah. of those like really old school browser-based games that you would get sort of back in the nineties. Which yeah. again, back when internet was like twenty-eight k, so it's amazing that anyone even tried anything like that. But uh, we're talking about. Season four, episode nine. But I want to speak about Miller and I want to speak about AI, which means it's much more about the expanse as a whole. And this sort of episode just marks a framework of when Miller escapes from the constructs of whether you want to call it programming or not is a bit of an open question. But it really doesn't the focus of the questions of this episode aren't going to be just on that particular episode, but really on the concepts that are presented in the expanse as a whole. Because I've got the expanse has a very interesting take on artificial intelligence and what a version of artificial intelligence could look like and whether or not you can even call it as such is somewhat of an open question. And that's what I'm going to. So first of all, I guess first question, Miles, is, yeah, like, so you're familiar with the expanse, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I started watching this show after a few friends I, I played, uh, D&D with were like, oh my god, you gotta watch it. It's, it's like, it's the next Battlestar Galactica. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Uh, and I do trust those guys, but they do like a lot of bad TV also. Uh, 
<laughs> it took me a while to actually get to it, and then I was so hooked at the end of season three that I was like, I now have to read all these books. And so, uh, in 2019, I read uh, I read one book a month of The Expanse, and it was like the best year ever. <laughs> nice, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and then at the actually, yeah, the very beginning of the pandemic, I read book eight, so I'm all caught up on the novels. I've, I haven't read any of the, the short stories yet, but uh, one day. No, I'm the same. I've just never gotten around to them, like except for except for the churn, because that one was definitely worth reading. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but they all are, and that they will they will release a book of them uh, after book nine. So that's, yeah, I, that's I'll probably wait till then. Exactly. That's what had been preventing me from most of them. It was like you got to track down all these individual things, but if they're willing to release like a compilation book of all of them, great, fantastic. The the more the merrier. But very quick overview, readers, readers and listeners, listeners mainly. But you know, maybe one of you is reading it in described audio. I don't know. So the main <laughs> overview, listeners, is that the setting of the expanse is. Roughly, what, 250, 300 years into the future, uh, humanity has colonized the solar system, but we're not beyond that. We're merely in the solar system. And it's the, it's the joy, one of the many joys of the setting of the expanse is it's, there are no outlandish technologies in place. There are technologies that are clearly more advanced than ours. We have very efficient fusion drives, which allows like travel out to Jupiter, Saturn, etc. But nothing that breaks the realm of physical possibility. It still takes an awful long time to get around the solar system. Um, gravity, acceleration and deceleration, and light delay and lag time are still large problems, which indeed shape a large amount of how the the, the story plays out. And everything is sort of grounded in a very like real physics style and what the and there's all sorts of politics we have overcome racism only humanity in a typically predictable fashion has overcome like earth-based racism to discover new and interesting ways of hating each other uh since now the the solar system is split between people from mars people from the outer like Asteroid belt and outer planets and moons and Earth, and they all hate each other because we never learned. That's part of the human nature, at least that's what this show would seem to suggest, and I'm not one to disagree with them. Uh, but the bomb that gets thrown into all this is essentially alien life, or life is the wrong word. This is the first time we talk about AI. It's not life. What gets thrown into it is an alien programming is almost what it is. It's almost a computer program, but instead of being set in a computer, it's set to interact with any physical, in particular, any biological medium that it comes in contact with. So right away, even in the first book and in the the start of The Expanse, the question of what is and isn't artificial intelligence is put to the forefront because our encounters with this alien thing, a large part of the first and second book are even determining whether it is intelligent and what it is, uh, it's sort of, it's a bit, and this is where another aspect, it's a bit sort of beyond, somewhat beyond the realm of what we're capable of understanding. This seems to be the initial suggestion of it. Is that more or less the read you have on it, Miles? Yeah, like at the, when they, when they discover the proto molecule, humanity, it, it, well, one corporation of humanity anyway, decides to start opening up the, the, the they, they find a Pandora's box and they're like, we gotta rip the lid off this thing. 
as soon as possible what is in this thing. And, Which, of course, um, of course, dear yeah. listeners, is completely unbelievable. There's absolutely no corporation that would completely disregard human lives in the search for profit. <laughs> Obviously, that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, very far-fetched uh, that, that there would be any kind of bad corporate citizenry uh, anywhere in human history. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, uh, this is clearly fiction. You know, right there, that's what that's what seals yeah. it. But, yeah, but that's it. The corporation finds it. But maybe it's because I just watched Jurassic Park recently, but there's a line Ian Malcolm says. He's like, when he's berating John Hammond about um, – in this case, there's scientific genetic progress. It's like you know, you do, you t- you stood on the shoulder of giants. You took the next step, you know. You you, but you did before. His telling line is before you even knew what you had, you patented mm-hmm. it and packaged it and slapped it on a packaged lunchbox, and now you're going to sell it. And that's essentially what the corporation here does. It doesn't. They don't know what they have. They have no idea what this thing is. But they're like clearly, this is going to make us all the money that has ever been. And so this is what we have to do is we have to get control of this thing and figure out what it does and how they decide to figure out what it does is they discover that it can change. It interacts with biological systems. They say, well, what if we took an asteroid, which has people just let it loose there and just murdered a couple million people? What could go wrong? And yeah, that obviously creates some problems. So the first question is, is the proto-molecule an artificial intelligence? It's not sentient, so, but its programming is above and beyond anything that we could just, we could understand. In later, in later books, in later seasons, it demonstrates problem solving, it demonstrates intelligence, mm-hmm. it demonstrates to the point where it, it actually can hijack human basically hijack and recreate human-level intelligences as part of itself, which would imply, essentially, an intelligent nature. But it itself is not technically intelligent. So I guess the question is, are we just, in the case of this and sort of anything sufficiently alien and advanced like this, are we running into a limit of what we could describe as intelligence or not? Yeah, what I think is neat about the protomolecule is that they describe it as a tool quite a lot. I think, I think the investigator, um, uh, describes it as a, t- that, uh, that the protomolecules is a, is a tool. It's a, um, yeah, it's a wrench. That's it's a, time. yeah. But like, it's clearly so much more than that because it definitely has, uh, a kind of agency, like it is trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And so even like, like this molecule has, uh, is, is so sufficiently advanced that they are able to, like that it, it is able to act in a, in a, in a, in a way of self-interest. Um, and, and, and a self-interest that does seem programmed, like an inorganic self-interest. Yes. Um, like it's such a, it is a really actually very fascinating and like, what is it? Um, is it like almost impossible to answer? Uh, I think, and the, and the book, the books and the, and the show don't completely answer, but they give you enough about it to like get your hooks into it. And I also think like enough to like make the plot keep moving, which is also yeah, very yeah, important. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a primary function, but you're right that it's, Again, it's described as a proto molecule, which, if you think about it, doesn't 
actually mean that much. And it yeah. is part of a, it's part of a greater, it's part of a, and yeah, he describes it as a tool because in the end it's part of a much greater civilization that has long since died, that whose original creators have long since died, but all of their creations exhibit this kind of semi-intelligent, sort of semi-artificial intelligent systems about them. And it brings it to part of that reason is that most of their, the, the protomolecule itself is sort of beyond classification, but a lot of clearly the machinery that these particular race used was very biomechanical in nature. Uh, mm-hmm. where, or biomechanical may even be a bit of a simplification of what yeah. it's supposed to be. Like it's beyond very much machinery, biology as machinery, biology as created machinery. And so again, it, it warps with the idea of what artificial intelligence is because to us, artificial intelligence, I don't mean to sound too pedantic, but an artificial intelligence is an artificial intelligence. What I mean by that is whenever we normally picture artificial intelligence. You picture robots, you picture computers, you picture HAL 9000, you picture something mechanical, something artificial, and something synthetic. But if all of your synthetic creations are biological, it warps at least a human understanding of what, what gives it its artificiality. Because if, if something is completely biological, but also an artificial construct in intelligence. I mean, in the end, we're still a biological construct that has been given intelligence. So what is the difference between us and one of their machines that is particularly good at doing what it does? Like if, if it can ace, yeah, that becomes another question. Biomechanics makes the question of what is an artificial intelligence. I think just difficult, more difficult for us to parse because it's not something that we're, used to an artificial intelligence is how it's a computer it's a it's a it's a robot it's a terminator it's not a living thing yeah whereas the proto molecule does seem alive like it, it it definitely evolves through especially the first book like when when it's introduced at aero station yep. it is just like a glob that is that creates what they call in the book vomit zombies <laughs> Which yeah, is a very yeah. funny term. Um, yeah, very classic then, term. <laughs> yeah, very classic term. Uh, they don't use that term in the show, which is a, a shame, really. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, but... <laughs> the, the, the show is brilliant. The show is absolutely brilliant, but in particular, oh, yeah. in its first season, it is of necessity somewhat limited in its scope due to budget. You know, the in the yeah. book, it's a station of millions of people who all turn into zombies, and then. Also, I think of necessity, the show in the book, so the show somewhat plays down the more biological, in particular, the, really the horror of what the protomolecule does in the first book, because I think it has to. If you, if you put to screen what is described and how the protomolecule hijacks like human bodies and uses it to its own, own ends, it'd be a really horrifying show. So yeah. of necessity, they tone that down a bit. Yeah, as it takes over Aero Station, it it like it seems to absorb everybody that is on there, and like it has a song that is made up of of all of the voices of the people in Eros that like Belters start picking up like uh, in like a music kind of way, um, and then obviously it leads to the it leads to the creation of 
the investigator, which yeah. takes the, the persona, uh, the, the appearance, but also like the memories and the emotions of the character Miller, um, like going forward from the end of, well, I, I, I guess the character first appears at the end of book two, um, but as a main character through books three and four. Yeah, you summed him up. The investigator in book one, we have a detective, Detective Miller, who is, I'm not going to go into exactly what he's doing, but for one reason for another, he ends up in the station, and yeah, he essentially melts down into his component parts and becomes part of the station. And in later seasons, and in particular in this episode that we're nominally talking about, he has been completely, he was a detective, his job was to find things, and he's also the very last person to be added into the Matrix protomolecule, so he's sort of the freshest and least corrupted human intelligence that remains within its system. So, as I said, it, it's, it's part of what why describing this thing as having agency while not being an intelligence per se makes sense. It makes the decision. It understands on some level that Miller's job was to find things, and so it creates a version of him to find out, to find what it's looking for. And it uses essentially all of Miller's, as you say, personality, intelligence, even emotions, and creates a version of him. So it creates, even though it itself is not intelligent, it creates a version, it creates and uses something within itself that is. So I guess the question is, at least for you, Miles, would you consider the investigator, even though it's created an, artific- an artificial intelligence, even though it comes from, it, it originally comes from a human person, would you consider him now to be an artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think so. Like, it's, um, yeah, when, when I, when you were saying that the, the theme of the season is our AI and thinking about Miller as an AI, I was like, yes, like, yes, he is. Cause it, the investigator at the end isn't Miller. It is now this new being that, uh, that he, he, like, he kind of talks about being able to partition himself off from the rest of the protomolecule in this way, um, which is neat because it means that the being that they create over and over again as, as the investigator, which they also establish that, like, each time Holden sees the investigator, Every single time we see them from season three through season four, it's a different cr- version of that program. It's a different and emergent version of the program because every time the investigator seems as though it's hit a dead end, the protomolecule obliterates it and rebuilds it. Yeah. And, and then it eventually gets to a point where it then rebels against <laughs> its creator. So how, I, I think you, you just, I think that's the proof of of it being separate and intelligent. If yes. that makes sense. Yeah, no, exactly. It's uh, it, it's it's almost the inverse the inverse of most AI stories in fiction. In most AI stories in fiction, the human beings create an artificial intelligence which eventually rebels against us and attempts to destroy us. In the expanse, the aliens create an artificial intelligence using humanity as a blueprint, which in the end rebels against it and attempts to destroy its particular 
it, like not the entire thing, but it attempts to destroy whatever it is that keep, that's keeping it alive. So it's it's sort of a bizarro mirror mirror image of what our usual AI stories is. It follows the same path, but its focus is different. Yeah, and, what, and what, I mean, what is also kind of neat then is, like, ultimately through the series, uh, and you see it in in this episode, is that there's also something even beyond that. That, uh, that like, what the, like, I, I, it's still not completely answered it even in uh, where the, I think the books are now, but, like, there is whatever the protomolecule and the protomolecule builders were working in, uh, or maybe even, like, how the, it works, like, but, you know, how the, the data in the protomolecule is able to, like, travel so far uh, in, instantaneously, it seems, as well. Whatever they were monkeying with, there was something even beyond that that is uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even it, scarier. It, this gets into the, like, artificial intelligence, and the whole story is, to a certain extent, a bit of a nod to, like, Cthulian-style horror, in that yeah. it's first the protomolecule, and then the ring builders, and then, yeah, this other unknown... Entity, like entity, entities, whatever you even want to call them, it's always very much these like unknown and almost unknowable, like unknowable yeah. and beyond human understanding. Like the engineering and the physics, if what goes into the proto molecule is in and of itself beyond human understanding, which we then learn is merely a small part of a much greater empire, which is just, and what you're, you're correct in saying, like the ring builders themselves, is perhaps it's somewhat, I think it's book eight, they say somewhat of like, talking about intelligence. So they're saying that, you know, we ourselves, our intelligence is located in our brains, but mm-hmm. that, you know, where our thoughts are and such isn't, it both is and isn't located in like a particular physical locality and that whoever it is that invented the protomolecule and such, they say something in the lines of their brains and what they used for thinking were non-physical constructs as in yeah. they're, they're like more sort of quantum, their brains and their minds themselves were quantum waveforms more than located in any one particular physical space which in and of itself is insane, but then, of course, yeah. <laughs> you come across something larger and more powerful, which promptly said, well, that's hilarious. It means we can just wipe you out and promptly destroys them all with, for all intents and purposes, the wave of a hand. So, yeah, that's another, that, that's a problem, <laughs> that's a problem which uh, obviously will be somewhat great to resolve, but it, it comes down to, I think, our, What's scary about artificial intelligence and what's scary about all the various alien creatures in the expanse is to a certain extent that it's the, the, there's, it's a completely alien construct. Like, it's, it's mirrored in Earth in that I think the more alien something is to, compared to us, the more people are afraid of it. If, logically, many more people should be afraid of, let's say, a lion or a bear than of a snake or a spider, because in the end, like, you know, a bear will just maul you to death and eat you. Most spiders are inherently harmless. But spiders are incredibly alien. 
They're much, much mm-hmm. less like us, and so many more people are afraid of them. And AI is the most alien thing of all. It, it, artificial intelligence is something that a, a lot of the time your mind can't even wrap its head around. It's completely – it's a foreign and so terrifying concept. Like, yeah, and even – yeah, I'd say even, like, when you think about current or, like, what we could, like, project out to being our artificial intelligence – the experience yeah. of that intelligence would be so alien <laughs> to us, how it would perceive time. If, for example, like, yes. you know, like how, how does a computer perceive time? Like, it's not stuck with our, our, our very limited understanding of how time moves. Like, it would be so, like, slow. <laughs> like, what are these meat sacks doing? They are, are they stuck in molasses? <laughs> um. Yeah, well, it could, yeah, precisely. Or, uh, that's the most likely, or it could go the other direction and be deep thought from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and take yeah. a million years to answer one question because again, it doesn't care. Not being limited yeah. to a lifespan or anything means it doesn't have to give a sh- it, it doesn't care. There's no fear of mortality. Yeah, but, but most of the time, you're right, is that what would we seem like? Would it even picture us then as intelligences? Because we must, we would seem like these slow, almost static, like plotting things. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good, you're right that that's just that in and of itself would be a huge difference between us and any artificial intelligence we created was temporal perception things like that oh boy yeah and well and also just the uh, regular perception like how it how it would perceive the world like um to, to branch out slightly into a different science fiction show but let's just Battlestar galactica and it's, yeah. um i think it's actually a speech that um dean stockwell's character and the number one gives in the oh no it's in, it's in one of the tv shows it's a season four where he talks about like how angry he is at his creators for making him human yeah. because like he can only see a, a, a fraction of the light spectrum. And like, I think it's when he's talking to uh six and boomer when they're having sort of their negotiation about what they want and such. And he starts talking about like their limitations and they're like, you know, all of their limitations and, yeah, them being made as human and only being able to experience things in a fraction because he wants to be more and they yeah. don't. They want to be like the humans or something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I could like I could see an AI like like and Cavill, yeah, Cavill's the name of that character or like another computer just being like so angry <laughs> at the box they are stuck in. Um, and looking to experience the world in ways that, frankly, we can't perceive because, yes, our eyes only hear, like, only see, sorry, uh, a fraction of the light spectrum, and our hearing doesn't, you know, only, it's only as good as the evolution that we came from. Yeah, and it's nature of what could or could not be perceived is so much different. So, talking about differences perception, I'm going to get into, like, a bit more esoteric things. Uh, a long time ago, I read a book series by Tad Williams called Otherland. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I don't believe so, so no. It's, it's a huge, long, very long adventure story, but the vast majority of it 
takes place in virtual reality, but in a VR, which is essentially almost indistinguishable from real life. And there's all sorts of things. Basically, the operating system has trapped these people here, and they're unable to escape from it. They can't disconnect themselves from it. And there's all sorts of – I can't get into it. It's Each book is like 800 pages, and there's four of them. So trying to get into the entire plot would be pointless. <laughs> but to say that it sums up with one of the things the operating system has done has created – a virtual life has created AI and what the AI decides to do is it ends up riding a bunch of cesium lasers, which were originally used to communicate with satellites just out into space. It's like, I don't want right. to stay around here. I don't want to stay around even in the limitations of this like network you call whatever I'm going to, I'm all I am is it's all it is, is information. It's like, I'm, we're going to hop on these lasers and get the fuck out of Dodge. And maybe eventually like, They'll hit a silicon lattice or something and stick around. But if not, they'll just ride their way through space. That's what they're going to do. And that's what they end up doing. And it's it's something that we just wouldn't even be able to possibly picture or understand as a way of being able to exist. But, of course, in artificial intelligence, maybe it could. Yeah, yeah, there's no – yeah, the limits there we can't conceive. Because it's it's hard enough to empathize with another person sometimes, but to empathize with something that, well, in the case of how we have made it communicate, like things in ones and zeros in yeah. complex math you know, things. But like when you go to the protomolecule, there's no way that's digital. Like that is no, information it. passing on a like molecular or like metaphysical level. Exactly. That's it. It's the and that's that's it brings it back. And it's why the 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 aliens, the expanse are to a certain extent so horrifying is it's not it's it. Even their their artificial intelligences are clearly not something that is designed in a way that we can even understand. It's not digital. It's not zeros and ones. There's something else entirely happening. And we never really figure out what it is, which is I I like that. I I like, Mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't. It's nice to leave some things clearly beyond the scope of our current understanding. That's fine. I don't consider that to be like a cop out from a story perspective or anything like that. That's just the way it is. Like something that advanced, we would never totally be able to understand it. Yeah, no, I don't think it's lazy writing or anything like that at all. Like there's, there's, like, because also like what the expanse is about isn't like you know it is about this and it is about like the, the looming conflict that you see about uh like that that orange ball but like yeah. it's really about um these three factions and of course like the main characters that yeah the exactly it's, this, it's the human stories within this backdrop of looming otherworldly terror and incomprehensible things and yeah. the all too human responses that often happen from things like that yeah. of you know like what 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 will the what would the human race do and act like if every single one of us was experiencing like primal existential terror but as with most <laughs> things we just had to pretend that it wasn't a thing like yeah <laughs> what, what what happens when that happens yeah and, and you, you touched on a bit on the intro, like the the, or the like the my favorite theme of the expanse is is gravity. Like it, it's such an important through line of you know what makes the factions the factions. Like you know why they appear like they appear. The like 
the 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 you know, the, the, the privilege of full gravity uh, yeah. versus like the disadvantage of not full gravity. But at least like that, that like, gravity is inevitable, and everything that happens to them has this sense of gravity of history of like. Things are moving towards an inevitableness. Uh, and yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, there's, you're, you're, yeah, that's true. Eh? A lot of parental, the gravity of like, yeah, the gravity of the inevitability of history and then the actual gravity of the inescapable, like, physical force in the universe that, yeah. And indeed, one of the sort of the first things that, I guess differentiates the aliens and makes them more horrifying is to a larger, to a greater or lesser extent, as you said, gravity affects everything about human beings. It affects everything mm-hmm. about them in the story. It modifies everything. And the aliens seem to a certain extent to be able to ignore it. Yes. Or yeah. They, or do whatever yeah, they yeah. want to it. Yeah, They're they beyond don't... The, the one sort of constant that forms, forms the entire arc in human society and they are beyond it, and that's what makes them perhaps even scarier. Yeah, they can rewrite the rules of physics when they want, which is you know what's happening in the atmosphere uh, in Episode 9 is that they've turned off fusion, and so all yeah. of the ships are uh, in their decaying orbits. Um, and it's the same in Season 3 with the slow zone. Um yeah, like yeah, the the, the it, it seems like magic because it's you know it, it technology so. But I, I think your, your point there makes me have an even greater appreciation for it. If you're right that gravity is probably the central, it's a defining structure of so much of the story. It's a defining structure yeah. of human society. It's a it's to a certain extent what makes everything human, and the alien forces at work in this story can to a greater or less extent ignore it, and that's. Yeah, so that's a huge it's it's just a measure of how much more beyond us and our understanding they are that the very sort of foundation and bedrock of us as a species and a society is just something they don't even care about. Yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's very cool. And uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I love the theme of gravity because it's even in small instances like whenever they describe landing on a planet they call it going down the well. Yeah, which is which is the gravity well. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a cool well. small. Are you yeah. going down the well? Like, oh, I don't want to yeah. be stuck down a well. Like, who would want to do? Who would want to live like that? Like, what's going? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, just all that to say, listeners, if you haven't yeah. seen or read The Expanse, do it. Like more more yeah. so than any other show I've talked about, you owe it to yourself to check these things out. They are a hundred and twenty percent worth any amount of time you want to put into them. They're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, with the caveat warning, I would say is that the show starts slow. Like, I think it yeah. it takes a, it takes a little while to get going, which is so funny because the book is so fast. Um, having watched the show, sorry, watched the, the first season, then I read the book, and you know, the show takes maybe like four or five episodes to kind of like get the the crew together and on the Rosinante. That's like page sixty in the book. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. it's it, it, it's a Markedly different pacing. It's yeah. yeah. The first the first season is a bit of a it's a bit of a thing to power through. But once you're through, like the, oh my second, God, so, yeah. the second and third, like the third season is one of the most amazing seasons of television you'll ever see. Yeah, like, it's, it's very exciting. Ridiculous. Yeah, because yeah, the, that season is like the back half of book two and all of book three in yeah. like five episodes. It's like 
very, very exciting. And they thought they were going to get canceled, brought over to uh, to Amazon. And uh, when season four is, uh, clicks over, you can definitely see that Bezos is a fan of that show and gave them a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You The very first shot, you can see that Amazon money getting splashed around. They're just like, hell oh, yeah. yeah, guys. You know, like, take a look at these dollar dollar bills. We got them. We're going to use them. And yeah. Why not? More power to them. Well, the takeaway from this episode is AI, when it sort of breaks the bounds of what we understand it as, is like a computer on the screen or Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to kill us, is hard to quantify as such, but definitely exists and is possible. But it's it becomes much more of a gray area the more and more outside our like our realm of experience it is. For TCAF, uh if they want to uh hear any of the stuff that you guys put out or want to learn more about it or listen to some of your D D, where where can our listeners find you? Find you not physically, again, no. statistically <laughs> at least one of you is crazy. Don't go looking for miles. But yeah. where can they find you on the on the interwebs? Yeah, on the interwebs, um, uh, TorontoComics.com uh, is is our, our main website. Everything will link you there. We are Toronto Comics on all social medias as well. Um, yep. So our like our YouTube will have a bunch of the content on there. Go to our Twitter. We're always promoting great comic stuff, um, and uh, you'll be able to you know learn more about you know applying to TCAF 2022 if you're a comics creator. Uh, hopefully that will go live later in the summer. Um, and for the Diecast podcast, uh, we are Diecast podcast on Twitter. Uh, and you can download us on, you know, Stitcher on, I think we're on Spotify now, but definitely Apple uh, podcasts, Google podcasts, uh, the Diecast podcast. Nice. Diecast podcast. I like it. That rolls off the tongue very well. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we like it. <laughs> well, I mean, after six seasons, I would certainly hope so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. good. Thank you very much for joining me, Miles. Thank. You. Uh, that was great. Uh, always. Yeah, glad to, I could. I could talk about the expanse for hours, but I'm not going to because you're trying to keep a format. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I'll hang up for another couple hours talking about this fun. I'm totally fine with it. But and. For listeners, if you guys like what you're hearing, uh, you could please head on over to RateOurPodcast.com slash RocketmanTFGC and, you know, give us a rating. I'd prefer it if it was a good rating, but that's entirely up to you. Rate us however you want. I'm not here to judge. In fact, I probably will never see it. So rate me badly if you want, but I, I, I would prefer if you didn't. It's up to you, though. I'm not telling you what to do. And you can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at RocketmanTFGC. There's always some good stuff going on over there. Uh, and, yeah, check out any of our other shows on the channel, please. Uh, I know there's some Smarkin' Friends. Uh, go go back and listen to some Smarkin' Friends. So uh, stay tuned, guys, and we'll see you next week when we once more get alcoholic with Chris and uh, find out how drunk we're getting. Thank you very much. Have a good night, guys. Let me ask you something. Do you watch wrestling? Either way, I have a podcast I want you to check out. Smart and Friends is the wrestling podcast that's not just for wrestling fans. Sometimes we watch wrestling with content creators or emerging artists who don't watch wrestling. Other times we'll invite a wrestler to talk about their interesting projects outside the squared circle. Or maybe we'll do something else entirely, as long as we think wrestling fans and people outside of our fandom will get a kick out of it. Catch Smart and Friends from the Two Finger Guns Club wherever you catch your podcasts. This has been a Two Finger Guns Club production. Pew pew!